We are three days away from, uh, uh, what do you call it, the pressure, the stress, what? Uh, anyway, uh, and we're really glad that you spent, uh, decided to spend an hour with us this morning. I want to invite you back uh, either tomorrow or Tuesday to one of our four Christmas Eve services tomorrow at 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock and then Christmas Eve, 3 o'clock or 5 o'clock. So uh, we have these cards uh, at the uh, connection point. And so if you uh, have some family or friends that you want to bring with you, uh, I encourage you to pick that up or just uh, bring them with you uh, tomorrow or Tuesday. We're all rehearsed and ready to go. I think it's something that uh, your family and friends will enjoy as will you do uh, as well, I think. So anyway, uh, we are in the last episode of this series, uh, Jesus is King. We've been looking at the four names given to Jesus by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 9, 6. Uh, and so uh, we're looking at the last one, Prince of Peace, this morning. Uh, I didn't count them. Someone else told me there are 790 verses, 790 verses in the Bible that talk about pe- peace. Talk about peace. And so uh, Isaiah 9-6 is one of those more familiar verses uh, that uh, deal with peace. And so we're going to read this out loud together uh, one last time, standing as we do that. So if you will stand with me and read Isaiah 9-6, here we go. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Very good. You may be seated. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We'll put the Hebrew word up on the screen for you with its English transliteration and its English translation. Sar Shalom. Sar Shalom. Say that with me. Sar Shalom. Uh, this, uh, the word shalom, many of you are f- familiar with that. It means, it means peace. It is a common uh, Hebrew greeting even today. Uh, you will hear that uh, in the Jewish community. Uh, either, whether you're coming or going, shalom, shalom is a common greeting. Sar uh, is the Hebrew word uh, for prince or ruler. Someone uh, indicates a position of authority. So sar, shalom. Uh, this is the only place in Scripture Uh, that we have this combination of two words, uh, the ruler of peace or the authority of peace. Isaiah predicts the coming of the prince of peace during a time of conflict and oppression. Uh, We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Both the northern tribes of Israel and the southern uh, tribes of Judah, uh, they are... uh, Uh, getting ready. They are being uh, conquered. They are being oppressed. Uh, The invading enemies and armies are coming in and taking them off, carrying them off into captivity. 600 years later, after the prophecy of Isaiah was given, Jesus shows up in a very similar situation. The Israelites are now uh, dealing with uh, Roman domination. The Roman Empire has come in uh, and now is, is controlling them. So things haven't changed much. According to the website, uh, conflicthistory.com, over the last 3,500 years, there has not been a single year where there has not been some type of war somewhere around the globe. Every year in the last 3,500 years, there has been some sort of conflict. Wars and rumors of wars, things haven't changed. And it all starts, friends, with you and me. Where does all this conflict, the brokenness within me, leads to the brokenness around me. 
Okay, so it all starts with you and me. Why do we lack peace? So before we look at what peace is and where to get it and how to apply it, we've got to talk about why we don't have it. What is the problem? And friends, the the problem for us so often is that we look to the source of our stress and conflict as a solution uh, to our peace, which is kind of ironic, but it's human nature. We look to the problem of our peace as the answer to our peace, which makes our peace all the more elusive. Let me give you three examples for what I mean. For some of you, your, your major source of stress uh, might be a pace problem, a pace problem. Uh, be honest, show of hands, how many of you are just, just simply moving too fast through life? Okay, how many of you are sitting next to a person who's moving too fast through life? Okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put everybody at odds this morning. Um, this is, we, we live in a culture where we do too much, we're committing to too many things, we're saying yes to everything, and, then, and those that are doing that are taking it out on each other, you know, they're ta- and, and Christmas just makes it worse, right? Tis the season. Um, and if you're taking notes this morning, you might want to just cross out that word pace and write in the word perfection perfection. Because for you, you may not have a pace problem. You may have a more deeply rooted problem of perfection, which is driving the pace of your life. Okay, I've been on this planet for 63 short years, and uh, I have learned this uh, in my experience with people and relationships. There are really basically two types of people running around at Christmas or at any time of the year, actually, two types of people, people who are stressed and people who are trying to stay out of the way of people who are stressed, <laughs> right? And that's really hard to do because what I have found that people who are stressed uh, usually get mad at people who are not stressed. You know, really, I'm, 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 the, I'm the blame for all this stuff that, I mean, you said yes to all this and, and just because I don't want to be a monkey in your circus, I'm at fault for, you know, what you're, you know, how you're feeling. Happy birthday, Jesus. You know, we've created a holiday of all chaos and consumerism and commercialism and it's just driving all of us insane. And again, uh, what may be driving this pace in your life is this need for everything to be right. Everything's got to be just so. And the people in your life have got to be just so. And everything's got to be perfect. The meal's got to be perfect. The holiday's got to be perfect. The family gathering's got to be perfect. And, and that's why you've got to go everywhere and you've got to do everything. You've got to, you've got to organize everything and you've got to tell everybody else that they're doing it wrong. So what's the, what's, what's the answer to your pace problem? Well, one of these days when things slow down. How many times have you said that? One of these days when things, that's the answer to every conflict, every schedule conflict that you have. Well, we'll get to that when things slow down. We'll get together when things slow down. And the important always gives way to the immediate and the, and the slow never shows, you know. Um, and then it, when it comes to perfection, you know, uh, one of these days I'll get it right. One of these days, you know, everything will be perfect. One of these days, everything, everything, a place for everything and everything in its place. One of these days, and that day never shows up. For some of you, you have a pace problem, which is driven by a perfection problem. For others of us, it might be a person problem, a person problem. People who are stressed are usually mad at people who are not stressed. Uh, Some of you are sitting next to what you think is the source of your stress. Don't look at them. Eyes on me right now. Uh, You can take it to the parking lot later. Uh, But here's 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 the problem with that. Friends, when you're blaming other people for your lack of peace, for your source of stress then what's the answer? It's for those people to straighten up. 
You know, you're my problem, which means you're also my solution. You're looking to the source as your solution. You're putting the responsibility of your peace onto another human being. And friends, that, that never works. Why does that never work? Because friends, people, people will never be everything you want them to be. I don't care who they are, who you're married to, who your children or parents are. People will never be everything you want them to be, even what you need them to be. Unrealistic expectations lead to premeditated resentments. Now, hear, hear me out. I am not saying, I am not saying that you shouldn't have the conversation. Okay, I'm not saying that you shouldn't communicate to people what's needed, what you need. You know, that's share your heart and share what's going on. That I'm not saying that you shouldn't have the conversation about someone dropping the ball with their responsibilities. You know, I, I, people need to step up and they need to do what they, they've been called to do. But in all reality, friends, if you're waiting for another human being to act in a certain way, you will never be without stress in your life. Because people will never be everything that you need them to be or want them to be. It just, it just, it just, you will always be stressed. It just makes everything worse. Pace problems, perfect problems, people problems. Some of us just simply have problem problems. Now, this is where it really gets real. You've had a diagnosis or a prognosis. You're in relational turmoil or emotional meltdown. Whatever the source of your stress, be it financial or physical or relational, or emotional, or spiritual, or some, someone in your life is in crisis. Their life is falling apart, and you're powerless. Though you feel the need, you are powerless to rescue them. And so you're just trying to pers- push through. You're trying to make the best of everything. You're trying to do the best, which is, ne- which is never good enough. You're trying to control the process, and you're, con- you're trying to control the outcome of the process. And the more you try to control, the less control you have, and the more out of control everything seems to be. Again, friends, listen, if if your peace is dependent on the perfection of your life or the pace of your life or the people in your life or the problems existing in your life and you're trying to control all that stuff, friends, what you're doing is you're surrendering your peace to those things. You're looking to the source of your stress as the answer to your stress. You're waiting for the world to be at peace and the world has never been at peace. (laughs) There's never been a time when the world has ever been at peace. This broken world will never be at peace. So friends, you need a peace the world cannot give so you can have a peace that the world cannot take away. You need a different source of peace. And friends, that's exactly the Christmas story, isn't it? The Christmas story comes along in all of our stress and all of the pressure and all of the challenges of our, all of the expectations of peace and here's the deal, you know, you go back uh, 3,000 years to when Isaiah gave this, this prediction. This was the problem for those waiting for the Messiah, waiting for Isaiah 9-6 to become a reality. Because the reason, the reason why so many people could not accept the claim of Jesus as being the Messiah is because he didn't live up to the expectations of their lives. He didn't live up to the expectation of what a Messiah, what they thought a Messiah could be or should be. Their perspective of what a Messiah uh, would do for them they didn't see in Jesus. They were looking for a political king. Jesus came as a spiritual savior. They wanted him to conquer their enemy, Rome. But Jesus came to conquer their real enemy, sin and death. 
And so they needed a shift in their perspective. They needed a new understanding of what their problem really was and where their real solution rested. I mean, I've been at this for a very long time and I still, I still fall into this kind of thinking, and you do too. If I could just get a handle on my life, on the pace of my life, the perfection, if I could just get it right, if I could be more perfect, if, if the people around me, there's nothing in the world that couldn't be solved by you people straightening up. You know, if, if God would just make this problem go away, why is he giving me it? But friends, I, I don't need a new Messiah. I need a new mindset. I need to understand where my real source of peace is coming from. I need to be reminded, reminded that the world around me will never solve my peace problem. Yea, though I walk through the valley. Remember that phrase? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, through the valley of the shadow of death, what the Bible teaches me is that God will not always rescue me from the valley, but he will always go with me when I'm in the valley. That God will, will seldom, if ever, rescue me from trouble, but he will always visit me in trouble. He seldom exempts me from the difficulties and the challenges of life, but he will never leave me in those challenges and difficulties. Friends, he is not the prince of my convenience. He is not the prince of my agenda. He is not the prince of my preferences. He is my prince. He is my ruler of peace. And the reason I can't experience the peace of God, the peace of my prince, is because I can't take my eyes off my pace or my perfection or my people or my problems. You see, friends, the enemy of our peace is our insistence that life go our way. I want to be the prince. <laughs> you want to be the prince. You want to control everything. You want to make sure everything goes your way. And that, that everything and everyone just falls into the place that you've created for them. If, and again, if, there, if there's anything that Christmas uh, has taught us, is that there is, there is a prince, but you are not him. And there is a peace that comes to you in ways that you would never have expected or in ways that you could never control. Now, having said that, friends, I don't, and before we move on, I don't, I don't want to minimize what you're going through. Many of us right now are in the valley of the shadow. And so I, but the truth is, friends, the truth is because Jesus is the prince of peace. The truth is, is that you can have peace regardless of what you're in or what you're going through. Not because you, not because you don't have to go through whatever it is that's robbing you of peace, but because you don't have to go through it alone. You have a ruler of peace who came in the flesh to be with you, not to deliver you from life, but to give you victory in life. He is your prince, ruler, authority of peace. Now, because of the brokenness uh, within me, there is brokenness around me. And so the, ne the world never seems to be at peace, which leaves us searching in all the wrong places for a peace uh, that we think we need or the, uh, the peace that we want. And so Jesus comes to us, the prince, the ruler, the authority, who, has the, who only has the power to bless us with peace. And so he comes to us uh, giving us peace. There are three general areas of peace that the Bible talks about that the prince of peace came to deliver. Here's the first one. 
eternal peace. Eternal peace. Romans 5.1 says, now that we have been put right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the most important peace that he came to bring us because it affects every other aspect of peace that we experience. Uh, three days away from Christmas, most of us think that the Christmas story starts at the beginning of the New Testament in Matthew 1 and, uh, and Luke 1. But in all actuality, the, the Christmas story started way back in the Old Testament in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 tells us the story of Adam and Eve who were created by God, perfect people in a perfect place, who decided to use their freedom to go their own way and to do their own thing. And in that act of rebellion against their creator, they destroyed their peace. Friends, every time you take on the rulership of your life, every time you say, I want to be the prince, you're saying no to the only rightful prince who has the authority over your peace. Now, in, the, in that book of Genesis, in those uh, first couple of stories, uh, chapters, everything is just fine. Uh, in those first two chapters, two perfect people in a perfect place, but they disregard uh, their source of peace. And because of their, uh, their rebellion uh, and rejection of that peace, uh, they experience chaos and conflict and death. Because of their disregard for their creator, they became what the Bible says, enemies. They became enemies with God. They were at odds with God from here on out. Now here's what, get this friends, God is never at odds with you. He has never been at odds with you. He will never be at odds with you. God created you. He loves you. Uh, he wants a relationship with you. And he has done everything through Jesus. He has done everything possible to reconcile with you, to bring you peace. Friends, God is never at odds with you. But you are at odds with God. I mean, you, you've, you've kind of experienced this in your life. Uh, right? I mean, someone, someone you like doesn't like you, right? I mean, is that just me or is that, okay, you, uh, you uh, from your perspective, you, you want the relationship, you value the relationship, but from their perspective, there is no relationship, okay? You, you desire them, but they don't desire you. You don't have an issue with them, but they have an issue with you, and as long as that issue exists, friends, the relationship doesn't exist, I mean, that, that's the reality of life, friends. You cannot have a relationship with someone who doesn't want to have a relationship with you. Okay, you can still love them, but if they don't want it, it's not there. Okay, so, you, so this is what you have to understand about God. When you, when you reject God, when you go your own way and do your own thing, when you claim the prince position for yourself, when you make your own decisions and disregard God's desire for you, friends, you are the one voiding that relationship. God wants it. But you don't through your rebellion and your rejection and your, your desire to control your own life. Mo now, here's the thing. Most, most of us have a hard time reconciling the wrath of God with the, with the love of God. That is a barrier to faith to so many people. How can God be a God of wrath and be a God of love at the same time? How can God claim to love me when I read about judgment and condemnation in the Bible? So let me, you know, for a moment, try to boil this down for all of us. Again, God created the universe. He created you. He created you out of love. He created you for a relationship with you. He wants the best for you. He has desires for you. And the best for you will only come from what he desires for you. Uh, in other words call them guidelines, uh, call them precepts, uh, call them commands. We have a word in the Bible, it's obedience. We don't like that word. But in general, it's just saying God, God created you. He knows how your life works well. And so everything that he tells you to do 
is simply for your own benefit. It's simply for your life going. He wants you to thrive in life. Now, he's given you the freedom to choose. You can choose to obey him and go his way, or you can choose to reject him and do your own thing. But friends, you do not have the freedom to dictate the results of, the, of that freedom. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have the freedom to choose, but you do not have the freedom to choose the consequences or dictate the consequences. And so you choose to go your own way. You're breaking that relationship with God. You choose to go your own way. You're the ones that is at odds with God. God's not at odds with you. But you're robbing yourself of the life God has intended for you. So whether you experience the wrath of God or the love of God isn't dependent on what God thinks of you or how God feels about you. It's totally dependent on what you think about God and how you feel about God and your willingness to go with God. You go your own way. You separate yourself from the love of God. You do your own thing. You place yourself and your life in jeopardy. You reject the Prince of Peace and you claim that title for yourself. You exempt yourself from the possibility of any possibility of peace in your life. Does that make sense? Isn't, isn't that very much like the, the parent-child uh, relationship? I mean, I, as a parent, I know I, I'm human. I'm, I'm fallible. I've done, I've done wrong things. My kids have done wrong things. But, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't think either of my children could do anything to make me not love them. They have tested that. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I don't... I don't I don't, I don't, it's not that I don't care about what they do. It's that what they do is not going to affect how, how I love them. In fact, in fact, their waywardness might cause me to even love them more because I care so much about their thriving. I care so much about what they do and how that, that brokenness affects their life. But given that, friends, that does not make, that does not mean that the relationship is good. They go their own way. Friends, sin breaks things. And the most important thing that sin breaks is relationship. And so the perfect harmony that Adam and Eve had with God in the garden and with each other was destroyed, not because God walked away from them, but because they walked away from God. And so now you and I, because we're just like Adam, we live with the implications uh, of that, dis- that brokenness. But here's the gospel. Now that Jesus has come, the Prince of Peace, we don't have to live with the consequences of that brokenness. Romans 5 tells us because of our faith in the finished work of Jesus, we've, made, we've been made right with God. We're, we're now at peace with God. You and God are good if, you, if your faith is in Jesus. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus did for us. What we couldn't get right, Jesus got right for us. He mended the breach. He bridged the gap between you and God. He is our peace that brings us back, that reconciles us to God. Because because of, of our prince, we now have eternal peace. Secondly, not only do we have eternal peace, we have internal peace. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Philippians 4, 7 and 9, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I I want you to notice a a couple of things here. Uh, Colossians 3.15, notice the word in. This is the promise, the promise of peace in you, in your heart, internal, inside of you, peace. There is a peace that regardless of the pace or the people uh, or the problems of your life, there is a peace that you can have that will correspond to every difficulty and trouble and heartache and broken relationship and worry and fear in your life. You have a peace 
in you. Now, Philippians 4, 7, notice the word guard. Guard. Now, Colossians 3, 15, the peace of Christ is the gospel. That was point number one that we just covered. So let's put these two uh, verses together. Colossians 3 gives us the command. Philippians 4 gives us the promise. There is a command and there is a promise. The promise is connected to the command, which means without obedience to the command, there cannot be fulfillment of the promise. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, God cannot rule what he does not possess. So the first question we have to ask is, does God have our hearts? Does God have your heart? Do you love God with all of your heart? And what does that mean? What what does it mean to love God with your whole heart? It means to put him first in everything. It means to follow him in in everything that he says. It means means to, to trust him in all that he has for you. Do you love God above everything else? It means that when God has your whole heart, he can do with your heart what he wants. He can fill your heart with what he desires for you. It means that when God has your whole heart... Uh, he, he, can, he can guard it. He can rule it. When God has, your, friends, when you love, if you love anything more than God, if you love anything before God, your life will always be shaken. It will always be unsettled. It will always be discontent and in turmoil and devoid of peace. If you love anything other than God, you will always be restless and worried and fearful. Why? Because God created your life. He sustains your life. Without God, there is no stability uh, in your life. Eternal peace. Jesus paid the price to establish peace between you and God. He did for you what you could not do for yourself. This is not the same as, as internal peace, friends. Th- these are, these are, eternal peace is rooted in what Jesus did for you. Internal peace is rooted in how you respond to what Jesus did for you. Okay, let's talk about this, friends. He cannot guard your heart if he is not ruling your heart. Jesus is the prince of peace. So you've got to surrender your heart. You've got to surrender your heart to the ruler of peace so so that the ruler of peace can guard your... In other words, you've you've got to follow Jesus. Friends, you've got to press hard after Jesus. You've got to walk with Jesus. You've, You've got to obey Jesus. You've got to do what Jesus says. You've got to trust what Jesus says. You've got to stay close to Jesus. You've got to surrender your heart to his rule so that your heart can be guarded and protected and shielded from all of those things that rob you of peace. Eternal peace, internal peace, which both lead us then to number three, external peace. This is talking about relational peace. Ephesians chapter 2, for Christ himself has brought us peace by making Jews and Gentiles, and, and from a Jewish perspective, there were only two types of people in the world. You were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. So what Paul is saying here is that anybody and everybody, this includes all of us, Jesus is the bridge between man and God, and he is now the bridge between man and man. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, you, you can have peace with the people in your life. And friends, this is absolutely true. We can love each other better when we love Jesus more. You want to be a better spouse? Love Jesus. You want to be a p- better parent, a better, a better a child to your parent? You want to be a better employee? You want to be a better friend? What, whatever you want to be better at, love Jesus more. That's the key to you loving. That's the key to you forgiving. You want to be able to forgive better? Live in the forgiveness of Jesus for you. Remind yourself that you've been forgiven 
far more than what anyone else has ever done to you that you need to forgive. It's all, it's all because of Jesus. We understand more deeply. We care more genuinely. We serve more joyfully. Those around us, when we surrender our hearts to the ruler of our peace. So when it comes to this external relational peace, here's, here's the deal, friends. When Jesus is my prince of peace, I can stop trying to prove myself. I can stop trying to push myself in the world. I can stop trying to manipulate, control the process and control the outcome, to, to manipulate the circumstances of my life to get what I feel like I need to have peace or to have love. I can stop looking at the pace and the perfection and the people and the problems of my life. To fa- I, I can stop waiting for all that stuff to fall into line because I trust the ruler of my peace to guard my heart. Now, what's so interesting about this Hebrew word for peace, um, this title given to our Messiah, here's the thing about uh, ancient Hebrew tradition and Hebrew culture, even in today's world, in the teachings of the rabbis and Hebrew scholars, peace, shalom, was, was, um, was much more valued than, than truth. In Hebrew culture, uh, peace takes a higher place than truth. Now, in Western culture, the culture that we live in, uh, most of us w- would think or say that truth is more important than peace. And a lot of us, we kind of live that out. We would rather be right than be in relationship. A lot of us have given up relationship because it was important for us to be right. And so the rabbis, however, would argue that, that if there is ever a situation where truth and peace are in conflict, that it's peace that should win out, should take precedent. Uh, In other words, I'd rather be, in Hebrew culture, I'd rather be in relationship than to prove that I'm right. Now, perhaps this is because shalom, the word shalom, uh, holds the idea of being wholly unified in relationship with God and with others, having relationship over being right. And when you think about it, isn't that what Jesus did What what did Jesus do for us? He took what was right and and what was right about you and me. What was right about you and me is that we were sinners. We are sinners. That we've gone our own way. We've done our own thing. We've rejected the Prince of Peace. Uh, And so uh, uh, Jesus took that, the truth. What was right was our judgment and condemnation and eternal punishment. But Jesus took that truth to the cross He took all that was right about us onto himself so that we, you and me, could be made right with God and have peace with him. So shalom, shalom is a word rich with meaning. When someone would greet another with the word shalom, it's far more than this superficial Western culture thing, have a nice day. Okay, when someone greeted you with shalom, they are asking that the God of peace would rule in your heart. They are blessing you with a life full of relationship with God and others. Shalom. I pray that you will be at peace in your life and in your world. 
shalom, that you will experience the wholeness and the completeness, the flourishing of life in all that you are, in all that you do, in all the relationships uh, in your life. Shalom, that you would experience and live in peace, which exceeds anything that you could fully understand because it overwhelms any circumstance that you will ever face. Friends, this needs to be understood. You can only enjoy the peace of God when you have peace with God. And Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is the only one that can make that possible. Your ruler, your prince. Friends, this, again, this is the Christmas story. He traded his crown for a cradle on his way to the cross in order to establish peace with you so that you would have peace with God peace with others, and you could live in peace forever. I can't think of a better thing to lead us into communion. As sure as we are, we are ready for that, the instructions are on the screen if you need that. The verse that I want to conclude for us uh, and, and prepare us for communion is found in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both, which, which is to say... It, all of us, it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done. Both of us, because of the Prince of Peace, you have access to the Father by one Spirit. So let's celebrate that this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so glad that you came to us, that you did for us what we could not do for ourselves, that you purchased our pardon and you, and you paved the way to peace with God and with you and with those around us. And so we celebrate that in this moment, all that you've done for us and all that that means for us. We celebrate the Christmas story that illustrates this so powerfully, that you traded your crown for a cradle on your way to the cross to be our Prince of Peace. To that end, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.